morning, North Terrace. You guys are ready to roll. It's going to be good morning now. You got that much energy. Well, it's been an interesting week for me. Uh, we had a pretty major life event happen in our family. Our oldest son graduated Friday. We did an open house with a lot of family and friends yesterday. And it triggered one of those seasons of nostalgia and reflection. And you know that something is pretty significantly changing. In fact, uh, Jonah didn't just graduate on Friday night. Like this coming weekend, he leaves for Haiti for eight weeks, gets back for like a week and a half and goes to college. So he, he made the, the brilliant move that every son should do. About a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, he sat down with his mom and goes, you know, mom, I was thinking I probably got like seven, maybe eight suppers left at home. That's just mean. I mean, and, and, and the main issue on that that I have is not that, he, I mean, it's, even if it's true, you don't say it out loud, but now I got to deal with that. You know? So, so I had to have a talk with the boy and straighten that out. But um, Jonah's going through a lot of changes, but those are impacting our family too. And some things will never quite be the same. And uh, I, I think back, you know, 18 years ago, this, this little guy even entered our lives and a lot of things changed at that. Uh, aren't there those moments that happen where everything from that moment on is different? And a lot of them are good and fun. Like a few that stand out to me, and, and while, while I mention some of these, I want you to think about those times in your life when everything changed from that point on. Like when I got married to my wife, I mean, from that point on, everything was different and, and, and radically for the good. So thank you, God. And um, when the boys were born, that changed a lot of stuff. Two and a half years ago, I got to come here to North Terrace. And I, I look back at that and I'm so grateful for how God engineered that and made that happen in, in a very selfish way. I, I, I just celebrate that, but everything was different from that point on. So I wonder, I wonder what those are for you. And, and I know, you know, I've talked about some good ones so far. There's also that other list, right? That everything changed and it wasn't a good moment. It was, it, it was a, a moment of radical shift through a painful moment, a painful event. I don't like thinking about those as much, but they've often been just as important. What's on your list of those? Um, was it the time that the boss came in and said, thank you for your service, but you will not need to come in tomorrow. Your time here is done. Was it the time that a loved one or a spouse came to you and said, I don't think I love you anymore and we're, we're done with this now, and I'm going to go a different way. And was it a time you got a call that said a relative had passed away, and you realized that that person you'd always counted on, that had always meant so much to you, was just not going to be part of your life anymore? And I'm going I'm to use a different word about those moments. I'm going to call them crisis moments. Those are hard, aren't they? And, and, and oftentimes, they come on unforeseen, unexpected. They, they slam us out of nowhere, and everything that had been changes in a moment, and it flips upside down, and things will never be the same after that. And, and today, here's what we want to do. We're going to look at a story in the Bible that maybe on scale and scope at first glance appears not to be that big a deal. But what this story will teach us is that when something is lost, when something changes so radically that we lose what was because we can never go back there, that there can be hope. There's a lot, there's a lot of good reason to have encouraged hearts today because God cares about our crisis moments. In fact, here's how we're going to say it this morning, that God redeems our crisis moments by leading us into new chapters of life. 
Now, I wish I could find a verse in the Bible that says, if you do this, you will never have one of these crisis moments in your life. I've looked, I've prayed, I've sought wisdom, and it's nowhere in any Bible that I have or have read. Okay, so sorry. That's, that's my bad news for the day. But this is my good news. I find a lot of scripture and the story we're going to look at today that tell me this is true that God takes that crisis moment and redeems it by leading us into a new chapter that we would not have experienced otherwise. And so while we will mourn and we will grieve what we lost and left behind, we are also moving forward to something that God has in store for us that is, according to Scripture, better than we could ask or imagine. And that's great news. So here's my hope for you and I this morning. No matter what's going on right now, whether you're in a crisis moment or season, or you're in a season of peace, that you can be ready for when these moments come, that you can find hope in God and healing for what lies beyond. So this is our last sermon in a a series of messages that we've called Greater Than. And the idea is that God is greater than a lot of different circumstances in our lives. And today our thought is God is greater than what we've lost, that we will all at some point lose something, experience maybe tremendous loss or some sort of tragic loss. And when that happens, how do we interact with that? How do we process and deal with it? And this is the good news, that God has an answer for that. So all through this time, we've been looking at a guy named Elisha. And I'm going to have you start going to a point in your Bibles or your Bible apps called 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We're just going to look at a quick story here in a bit. But while you get there, I want to tell you just some reminders about who Elisha was. Now, at the time that Elisha lived, God spoke primarily to the nation of Israel, his people, the Jews, through what, what we would call prophets. And basically, they spoke on God's behalf. Sometimes they would go stand before kings and say, straighten up. Sometimes they'd go before the people and say, this is coming unless you change your ways, or here's what you're doing right. They were really people of great influence. And, and Elisha followed a man named Elijah, who is known as one of the major prophets, if not, one, if not the key prophet of the Old Testament. And he was known for his power, his strength, and his wisdom. And Elisha carried on that legacy in a new season. So here's the good news when we pick up our story. Things are going really well for Elisha. His voice is a voice of influence, and actually a lot of followers are starting to gather around him. And Elisha has a good problem. You you guys know what good problems are, right? I mean, there's bad problems where you're like, the, the consequences of this are significant. Sometimes there's good problems where success has now brought a new challenge that you get to figure out an answer to. That's Elisha's problem. Because when we pick up this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to find out that he's had so many people come to him that the small gathering place they had is not big enough. And you know what's kind of cool? Is we're actually experiencing something similar to that at North Terrace right now. Now, in this room on Sunday morning, we got more space. So here's my minister encouragement. Keep bringing friends. But we're experiencing a really cool challenge on the other end of our building. And those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about. We are running out of space and starting to use every square inch we can down there because God just keeps bringing kids to North Terrace. And we want to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell them about the Bible, how much God loves them. And to do that, we have to figure out how to use literally every square inch. So 
This is now where we gather for worship, but there was a time in North Terrace's history, and if you haven't been down on the other end, go take a quick tour sometime. I'll, grab me, I'll take you down there. But we call it the chapel now. It's our old worship center. We're using that for classrooms. And to make it classrooms, because it's basically one big rectangle, we're hanging wires up, putting moving blankets over it, and then putting um, foam board in there to kind of noise cancel, even though it's not perfect, so we can tell more kids about Jesus. So the story we're about to read is an ancient version of what we're doing right now here at North Terrace. Isn't that kind of cool? And the answer is? Oh, good. All the energy we had early on disappeared. We're gonna, we, you know how this goes. We will get rowdy if it is required. All right, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Why don't you, why don't you re- follow along while we read this? And I'll stop here and there and give you a little bit of what's going on just so all this makes sense. So the company of the prophets, that's the people who were following Elisha, said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for all of us. Let us go to the Jordan, that's a river nearby, where each of us can get a pole and then each, and let us build a place uh, for us, there for us to meet. So the idea, you're like, well, why are they just cutting a pole? I mean, you build a house with timbers and all this stuff. It's probably more like a tent awning type, type structure that they're building. They aren't building a permanent uh, college or, or big church or temple building. They're just building a place where they can get out of the sun because I've been to Israel. It gets hot. And they're probably trying to get out of the elements when it's rain, it was raining. So they're probably building some kind of shelter, um, <laughs> the ancient version of the now popular pop-up. So uh, the awning. So that's what, what's going on here. He said, go. So Elisha apparently says, this is a good idea. And since this is kind of his informal school of followers, he's basically sending them on a field trip. This must be the shop class of minister training. Um, you go out and cut out the poles. We'll make the new place to meet and we'll do that. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. So Elisha is not above getting his hands dirty. And apparently, you know, he wants to go on the field trip with the guys, come down, hang out by the River Jordan. So they go on this, they go on this journey. They go down by the river. And verse 4, he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down the trees. Now I want to stop there before we tell you this key moment in the story. To us, we hear they cut down trees. And we're like, okay, what's the big deal? You just cut down trees. This was not a simple act. I mean, they didn't have chainsaws. I got my first chainsaw this last Christmas, and I think my testosterone doubled or tripled in one move. I mean, just starting a thing and hearing that thing kind of rev and gurgle a little bit, I was like, yes, I am a man. I have a chainsaw. And then I took it out in my backyard and started to clear stuff out, and I'm like, look at this tree. Tree, you are about to fall. And I cut it down, and I stood over it and said, I made you fall. I mean... It was that hard. I mean, I was, it was just, I'm done. And I, I mean, there's a party that's like, yes. And that's pretty cool. And I, I mean, modern power tools make that kind of stuff easy. And so you're like, well, of course they didn't have power tools. Well, even their axes weren't that great a technology. For instance, uh, two Christmases ago, uh, Jonah bought me my first axe. Like, I've had little, little hatchets and stuff before. I get this, well, I got it on Christmas, but I saw it come early. You can get anything on Amazon nowadays. So this long box comes from Amazon, and I'm like, new golf driver, putter, new bat. I've got all these things that are long. I open it up on Christmas, and it's a steel-headed axe that you can split wood with. And I'm like, okay, this is even better. Because again, this is pre-chainsaw days. I mean, I am like, I'm geeking out on the manliness. 
So that steel head, it just goes through wood, no problem. I mean, when you're splitting wood, it just shatters. And as long as you keep that edge sharp, it, I mean, it'll hold that edge for a long time. But at the time that Elisha and this, this, this event is happening, most of their tools were bronze. And bronze is a lot softer metal. It doesn't hold the edge as much. And so most of these guys, here's what it probably was. They'd take a couple blows at a tree and then they'd stop and they'd probably have to resharpen it with a stone where it nicked the blade and it dulled it. And then they'd take a couple more. It probably to take one tree down took a long time and they had to do it all by hand. Except one of these guys apparently had the hookup and he drove up with his maximum 24 inch chainsaw equivalent in the ancient world. He had an iron headed axe and that meant that his was a, a stronger, it held the edge better. And so he was probably taking two to three trees down for every one that the other guys were taking down. So it was a significant advantage. Knowing that, listen to the rest of this story. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The law at that time required that if you had borrowed an animal or a tool or some other thing of value and it got broken, stolen, destroyed something, you were required to replace it at the equivalent value. And an iron axe head of inequality was probably the equivalent of a year to a year and a half's worth of salary. This guy just encountered financial ruin with one swing of his axe. So what's the picture? He sees the, 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 the trunk, he leans back, and when he swings, there's no head on it. Disaster. And then he hears the splash behind him in the river. And, and you guys know this about iron, right? It doesn't float. It's sunk to the bottom of the river. And he panics. You hear it in his voice. Oh, no, my Lord, it was borrowed. The man of God, that's Elisha, asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. That's a miracle. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and he took it. So it's an interesting little vignette story that at first glance you're like, so what's the big deal? Guy lost an axe, said it floated. Everything turned out great. What's important is the process of of encountering a crisis that happens here and some things that we can learn from how this guy interacted with, with God and how we can apply that to where we live. So here's something that stands out to me right away that this guy did when he lost the iron axe head, that when you experience loss, probably even greater than an iron axe head, you can do. The first thing is this, he cries for help. When a significant moment of crisis happens, I don't believe that I've, I, that I've ever seen this be optional. We almost always cry for help. In fact, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine an exception. Now, here's the key. Who do you cry out to help for? I think most of us start with ourselves. Can I make this better? What can I do to make this better? Often we come and realize in a very short period of time, I can't do much. It's a crisis. Probably the very reason it's a crisis is because I've done something to trigger it. Not always, but often we do things that lead to a crisis. So I will say this, the vast majority of the time in a crisis, it's bigger than you. And that's why everything is changing. Because if you were in control, you would probably try to keep things as they were. But something now has happened that is flipping everything upside down and everything's going to be different. So when you come to the end of the you, then you're crying out again. Okay, I can't do it. Oftentimes then we go to parents, family, friends, 
people in the world around us, maybe ministers, maybe people at church. And here's my promise to you. I've experienced this. Sometimes they come through and it's awesome because I believe God uses them to do great things. But sometimes they'll let you down. And that's reality. They're human. They are not God. And so they'll, they'll promise, they'll, they'll, they'll try, but the reality is they don't, need, they don't even have all the answers. And so you may cry out to help for those who, who love you, who want to do life with you, but at some point they'll come up short. And we may even go to the world and try to find answers out in the world among us, but it'll come up short too. So, so it ultimately comes down to this. Are you willing in that moment of crisis to cry out to a God who says he loves you? Get, get this, and this is an important, this is, in fact, I think this is one of the, the most important questions we must come to grips with an answer. Do we actually really believe that God loves us? Because if you say yes to that, in that moment of crisis, and this is not the first time I've said this up here, if you believe God loves you, then that moment of crisis is not an issue of, God, why did you do this? It's a matter of, God, how are you going to make this better? Because what Scripture consistently teaches us is, God redeems our crisis moments to lead us to a next chapter of life that is for our better. And he, I don't believe he causes the pain. I believe he enters into the pain and says, here's where I'm going to take you. Do you trust me? How you answer that question is important. Because when you cry for help and God says, here's what I'm going to do, you've got to trust his timing. You've got to trust his methods. You've got to trust his heart and spirit in that. And it is hard because he usually doesn't do it on your timeline, and that's frustrating. He usually asks things of us that we're very uncomfortable doing, and that's hard. And sometimes he asks us to leave things behind that we've put way too much value on so we can experience something better, but we can't really imagine or understand how it's going to be better until we're there. And so we have to say, God, do I take you at your word? Do you, do you, are you really going to do what's best for me? And here's, here's a thought. God said he would. He's never lied, ever. I, how do I say this with enough emphasis? Ever. I, you, I will fight you to my last breath if you try to make a case that God has somehow lied. There is not, he has never in his entire history of his relationship with humanity has he broken his word. We cannot say the same thing about ourselves. So the first thing is we cry out for help. In the story, what did the guy do? Oh, my Lord. It was borrowed. That's his cry for help. He's not saying all these details. He doesn't lay out the case. He just says, I'm in trouble. Have you ever hit a moment in your life where you can't even put words to it except raise your hands or your heart and your mind and you just go, help. Like a child who is so weak and so empty, just going, help. And I believe God, our Father, meets us at that moment and says, thank you. Now, let me have this. Let me take you someplace you wouldn't have gone otherwise. So here's another thought that I see from this story that we've talked about. And it's the word remember. And as these crisis moments happen, it's really easy to get so focused on how much it hurts, how much you're letting go of or losing. And you might get distracted by what I'm going to call the tyranny of the immediate 
All you can think about is this moment here. And you look backwards and go, that's, I, I want this. And we forget that God promised to take us to what is good and what is best for us. But because of the pain and the loss here, oftentimes we hold too tightly to all this stuff. And God's saying, just let go. This is what's holding you back. And if you'll trust me, what's on the other side of this is exactly what you need. But it is terrifying because you can't see it clearly until you let go. And I'm going to show you an image in just a second that's going to make this clear. So we've got to come to grips that sometimes what we've held on to for so long and now are losing may be the best thing in the world no matter how much it hurts because now we can become more than we would have been. We can become greater than we would have been. So from that story, that's a few thoughts. And you've got to remember who God is in all that so that you can become who he wants you to be. So let's take all that and let's apply it to how we live and how this often shows up in our daily life. So we have this graphic from our Greater Than series that basically is the open triangle that one side of it is greater than and the other side is lesser than. So what would happen if we turn that on its side? To me, it looks like a mountain when I was a kid, right? You got the peak at the top and you got each side. And we're going to use this in a different way to talk about three key seasons or moments or or experiences in 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 a typical crisis time. And the first one is this. We experience what I'm going to call the before. Before you might call normal. You might call before today. Uh, And sometimes before is 30 years long. Sometimes before is one week long. But we get used to before and think that what is happening in the before season of life will be what always happens because that's what's always happened, right? Except you know what we often forget is there was a before before the before, right? And what is is not always what was. But we forget that. And we often make this before season of life a little better than it actually is. Because it's not like everything is perfect in our day-to-day lives, right? I mean, there's stuff. It may not be the crisis, life-changing moment, but there's stuff in in daily life. But we make it out that, well, everything was so much better when. Really? Really? I actually had to talk with my mom and dad about this. I'm not going to get into that. But my dad made this comment, and I went, really? Because here's how I remember that. I I didn't get on my dad's good list by this, by the way. Um, But it was a moment of reflection, and I remember him and I talking about it later, and he's like, you know what? I think think you're right. By the way, my dad was here last service, and I didn't tell this story then. Um, So that's called wisdom, and we'll do another sermon about that in the future. (laughs) We're just keeping it real. I like before. Before is comfortable to me. You know what I'm talking? I know how to operate here. I know the rules. I know the patterns. And as long as everything stays the same, we're all going to be okay. But it never stays the same. It's usually just a matter of a time before something will take me to a new season. I wish I could tell you that all the transitions will be fun, that they'll all be positive, and many of them are. But sometimes, even things beyond our control, things we have no choice in, happen. 
and they hurt. And I grieve those moments. In my life, I grieve them with you because they hurt. They shake everything up. And what was before gets just broken down so quickly and we go, why, why can't I go back? Why can't, why can't it be what it was? But as we begin to climb the mountain towards the crisis and the crisis becomes reality, it begins to dominate everything. We start to get a busy head. We can't quit thinking about anything but this key loss, this key tragedy, this key hurt. Uh, our heart races with emotion. And one day we're angry at everybody and the next day we can't help but cry at everything. And then one day we don't even want to get out of bed. And I, I mean, we're like, why am I such a hot mess? I'm everywhere on this. I can't, I don't even know, I can't even process it. I'm barely functioning in life. And enough of you are nodding your heads right now. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about because this just felt like I could live. I was functioning. Everything was okay. But now the boss says I have no job. Now my spouse says they don't want to be with me anymore. Now my kid has told me they're addicted to this. They're going to turn their life into this. Now my mom is going to die. Now, now, now. And as you climb that mountain and that crisis has become in reality, as much as you want to go back, all you can really think about is this. And what lies beyond it seems like just this foggy mess of unknown. And you just have hurt and anxiety and fear. Because you're losing something. I get it. I get it. And, it, and, I, and I, I hate, and I know God hates it even more than I do, that we have to suffer and it's part of this world. But I love that God is saying... I was here with you in your before. And I'm going to be here in this, this crisis transition where, where everything's going to be different. It's, it's true. It's just not going to be what it was, but it's going to be okay. Why? Because God said he's with us, he loves us, and he will do what is best for us. And I take him at his word. So, I may not understand. In fact, I rarely understand in the moment. But on the backside of this, I lived in Colorado for a few years, and I discovered that mountains don't look like this. That's how I drew them when I was a kid. They don't look like this. And as you climb the mountain, oftentimes you think you're at the top, and then there's a little more. And then you think you're at the top, and there's a little more. And you wonder, what's on the other side of this mountain? But you can't see the top until you get there. And you can't see what's on the other side until you get to the top. But there's often this breakthrough moment where you hit this top and you get up and all of a sudden the world opens out before you and you see this amazing vista and your heart jumps and you go, ah, this was worth the hike. This was worth the effort. And here's what I'm going to tell you. God is not going to give you too many previews of what's on the other side, outside of trust me, trust me, trust me. But when you get to the top and he begins to say, now, I know what you're leaving behind, but here's what I'm taking you to, and you start getting touches and tastes of it, it will be mind-blowing. It'll make your heart race, not out of fear and anxiety, but out of anticipation and joy and dreams. Oh, it's not, I'm not saying it's not scary. The, the, the after is scary. 
but it's worth it. Because the after becomes the new before. Because God's saying, this is going to be your new normal. This is, this is what I'm giving you. I know you lost something, but I'm greater than what you lost. Let me show you what I have in store for you. Can I tell you about a time I experienced this? In 2001, my, mother, my grandmother got a terminal diagnosis for cancer. And in my family on the steel side, we had not had a funeral in 30 years. Now, we aren't a big family, but that's kind of cool and kind of crazy. So we didn't know how to do this stuff. I know I've told this story before, but it's important. We gathered around her bed on that last day, and we started saying our goodbyes. But we didn't know how to do it in, quote, unquote, the right way, because, by the way, there's not a right way. But, but so we just started doing what felt right to us. We started singing some songs to her. And my family is not musical at all. It was horrible. So maybe, maybe I'm glad they were giving her morphine. <laughs> That's horrible. But we sang the songs that she loved from church, from life. And then we ran out of songs we knew. And the last one we had was happy birthday. So we sang happy birthday. And that sounds weird. But you know why we sang it? Because she loved a good party. She loved birthdays better than anything else in the world. And then I forgot this until my dad told me after the service, second service, that he was sitting on one side of the bed and my aunt was sitting on the other. And my dad started reciting the 23rd Psalm to her. And then the, the loss hit him so much that he couldn't talk anymore. He, lo- he couldn't say the words. And my Aunt Marilyn, who will cry at anything, picked it up without missing a beat and finished the 23rd Psalm while holding her mom's hand as she said goodbye. And here's how I remember. A few minutes later, my grandma took a deep breath. She let it go. She took a shallow breath. She let it go. And she went home. She went to what was after, and it was better than what she lost. And for those of us who were left behind, nothing was ever going to be the same. We were in that crisis. Everything changed. But that was okay. Because here's something I've learned. Yeah, it's different over here. And there's things that aren't the same that I wish it were. I wish my grandma was able to be at Jonah's graduation yesterday. But she was. Through her family and the stories that were told and the pictures that were there and the legacy she left in this family. So while it may not be what it was, it is something even better. What's God got in store for you on the other side of some of these painful moments? I don't know. In that, I don't know the details, but I know he loves you, and I know that better than you can ask or imagine, he's got a plan and a way it's going to blow your mind. And I know that and have confidence in it because Jesus showed this, didn't he? He came into the before, and the crisis was the cross. He got knocked down. He got put in the ground and nothing was ever going to be the same. And people thought that that was a bad thing. 
except he rose from the dead, and now nothing's going to be the same. And it doesn't have to be the same ever again for you and me. So hear me on this. I know you're tired, and I know you're hurting, and I know sometimes you're wondering, can I go one more day? Go one more day. Don't quit. Don't ever stop. Don't surrender. Because the win is not going all the way to the after in one move. It's going, I'm getting up tomorrow, and I'm not stopping. Because God said he's got something good that's going to come out of this. It hurts, but I'm getting up tomorrow. I'm eating. I'm breathing. I'm sleeping. That's my win. Because someday God's going to make the win better than that. Don't quit. And here's why I say that. Proverbs 24, chapter 16 when I found these words, I, this is becoming one of my favorite verses, so I'm going to share it with you. For though the righteous fall seven times, they stumble, they're overwhelmed, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. You may stumble. You will stumble. You're going to fall. Just get up one more time, one more time, one more time. Because a whole lot of getting up Maybe an inch, an inch, an inch, and a whole lot of inches turn into miles, and a whole lot of miles turn into a journey, and then that's when God takes you to what's next. Keep at it. Because Jesus made a promise that no matter what's happening right now, there is an amazing after that lies ahead for us. I hope that for most of you, Jesus is your Lord and Savior already. But if today you hear what I've said, and you're like, I've got to have confidence that no matter what's going on right now, it's going to be okay. Would you come forward while we sing this song and let's pray and let's figure out what that next step is. Maybe you're ready to be baptized and say, I'm all in with Jesus. Or maybe it's time for us to go get some coffee and talk. Whatever it needs to be, you let me know. Let's stand and sing and I'll be up front.